This is Popaganda, the feminist response to pop culture podcast. I'm Sarah Merck. Just a few miles outside of Portland, Oregon, there's a long stretch of beach that faces the Columbia River, Collins Beach on Savi Island. The thing that's special about Collins Beach, in addition to the sun and the sand and the small river waves, is that it's clothing optional. Yep, it's a nude beach. I, I really appreciate that people, no matter what they look like, they just rock it. They don't care. I'm just like, oh, that's pretty bold. The beach is supposed to be a place of relaxation. But as we all know far too well, beaches are also a place of high anxiety. I love my body. I really do. But nothing puts my body positive feelings to the test quite like slipping into what's essentially colorful underwear and parading around in the midday sun in front of a bunch of strangers. This episode of Propaganda, Beach Bodies, will take you from the sandy sun to the woods to the pool and back again, all while having conversations about how we feel about our bodies and how to deal with the anxieties people have around their bodies being on display outside. Stay tuned. Queen of the surfer there was no better place to kick off a discussion about body positivity than at the naked beach, where people are braver and more self-accepting than me. On a hot Saturday in July, the beach was packed with people of all shapes and sizes, and in all states of undress. Groups of 20-something friends in hip swimsuits shared sand with stark naked older hippie couples and topless middle-aged moms who helped their toddlers wade into the waves. Microphone in hand, and I should say wearing clothes so I wouldn't freak people out too much by coming up and talking to them. I asked people how being naked at the beach made them think about their bodies. I'm making a podcast about body image at the beach. Oh yeah? Would you mind if I ask you a few questions about bodies? Is it audio or video? It's audio. Yeah. It's audio? Uh-huh. Sure, radio. Yeah. Great. I'm Sarah, by the way. I'm Deb. <laughs> When, when you come to the beach, how does it make you think about your body? Do you feel like you should look a different way? Do you get anxiety around it? Or do you, you feel know, pretty good? I have to say, as I've gotten older, that doesn't bother me as much. You know, I'm almost 50 and I'm really feeling much more comfortable with my flaws, so to speak. Okay, well, here's the question, which is okay. when you hear the phrase beach body, what do you think? Like, do you have an image in your mind of what a beach body is? What is it? It's toned. It's toned and tight. That's, well, until you come to Savi, and then it's a completely different story. Anything goes. <laughs> right? How about you? I don't know. I don't view it that way. I really don't. Like, I brought my kids here before because they were having body issues as girls. And we came here. I just allowed them to be, and they came back. And they, they, one of the first things they said is, like, boy, everyone's different. And I said, that's right. Everyone is different. And that's what makes you unique. And it's not that you you're need to be a certain way because no one's that way. The strange thing about it is when you're here and there's, everyone's naked, it kind of, um, everything kind of becomes desexualized. It's just, they're just human beings and you're not objectifying anybody. You really, I mean, it, if you're open-minded, you just, you can't. I guess being uh, 
straight, cis, white male, middle-aged, there's a lot less burden on me to have a particular kind of public display of my body. When you hear the phrase beach body, what comes to mind? Uh, I think the first thing that comes to my mind is actually people who are sunburned. <laughs> so lobster people. When you come to the beach, do you feel like you feel any pressure to look a certain way or to do you feel anxious about your body? Not usually. I do have some weird grooming techniques that I sometimes do, but they're mostly for me. So I, I like to shave my feet. Uh, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I shaved last week, but otherwise I'm a pretty hairy person and I don't usually feel self-conscious about that, but, uh, I don't really feel, there's definitely times I'll go to a nude beach and I won't feel like getting fully nude. And so it just kind of depends on the day, how much I'm thinking about people are looking at me, how I'm feeling inside. Okay, well, here's the question, okay, is when you hear the phrase beach body, uh -huh. what do you think? I don't really think of one, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. I'm a photographer, and I, I just came out with a book that's all about, like, pro-everyone bodies, so. Bodies at the beach, or? No, it's called The Holy Booble, and it's women's boobs from around the world. Okay, wait, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so you've seen a lot of boobs of different shapes and sizes oh, and everything. yes, yes, and I did... Like my mom was in it and she's 73 now or four, 73 or 74. And then I've had, I have like transgender women and then women that have had like a double mastectomy. I wanted to do a book that is, involves everyone. So I had professional models, people, it was their first photo shoot and it's all Polaroids. So it's all unedited, raw, yeah. The holy booble, you heard it here first. It's perfect. Are we gonna fall off this cliff? No. <laughs> Excellent. You're gonna live. On a Saturday morning, Jenny Brusso and I parked at a trailhead before we set off on a hike into the woods. Okay, are we ready for this? We are ready for this. Jenny Brusso is on a mission. A year ago, she started up an Instagram account called Unlikely Hikers that highlights people who often aren't represented in media about the outdoors. Now, the account has 18,000 followers and feels like part of a movement, a body positive, intersectional effort to make it clear that whether you feel welcome on the trail shouldn't depend on your race, size or ability. How far do you think we'll go today? Um, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I should have planned this out. Yeah. <laughs> Jenny herself identifies as queer, femme, and fat. When she hikes, she usually wears a knee brace to help heal from an injury she sustained in her day job as a bartender. I started hiking about five and a half years ago. Um, I never hiked or was outdoorsy or actually like really liked to exercise at all. Um, I started dating my partner who loves the outdoors and one of our first dates was a hike and I said yes because I wanted to impress her and hang out with her and stuff like that. <laughs> the classic reason. Yeah, you know, really genuine <laughs> down-to-earth reasons and, <laughs> you know, I was sweating and breathing really hard and felt super self-conscious and 
you know, but when we got to the top of the big hill, I felt like, I don't know, something kind of connect and it felt like something new and I needed something new in my life. At that time, I was partying all of the time and like didn't know what I was doing with myself and feeling kind of lost. And so I started hiking to kind of, I don't know, fill in those weird places in my head. And it became the thing that I love to do. Um, at the time, and also you got a girlfriend out of the deal. I did. And she's still my girlfriend, so it worked. <laughs> it's not surprising that Jenny thought for years that she wasn't someone who was outdoorsy. In advertisements, TV shows, and films about the outdoors, the people who are the protagonists of the adventure stories are often a pretty narrow range of bodies. Usually the represented outdoors person is a thin, white person. They're usually young. They usually have very nice gear, which reads as affluent. Um, they're usually super fit in the way that our society, you know, dic dictates fitness. Um, and they're often, you know, doing these extreme, you know, challenging hikes or rock climbing or whatever it is, you know, peak bagging and crushing miles and all of that. And uh, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. It's just not... It's just not, it doesn't tell the story of like a real outdoors person. It's just one kind of outdoors person. And there's a lot of different kinds of outdoors people. I don't think I've ever crushed a mile in my entire life. I feel like every mile, <laughs> every mile has crushed me. Yeah, that is accurate for me as well. I mean, and you know what? I think it's humbled to let the miles crush you. Yeah. I never even considered the outdoors until I was, I turned 30 and I'm 35 now. And, um, you know, I never thought about hiking or camping or doing any of that kind of stuff. And, um, and I think it, it really is because, you know, it never, it was, it never seemed like an option to me. It never seemed like something that was welcoming of me or somebody like me. I came to a body positive, fat positive awareness in my late teens. Uh, I'm 35 now. And I never liked exercise because of the way it was always marketed to people as this thing to sort of change their bodies or fix their wrong bodies, especially to women. And, um, and it's, you know, always sort of relayed in this weight loss sort of tone. And, so I always had sort of a, 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 a negative attitude toward it. And I purposefully, intentionally did not exercise as sort of my, I guess, sort of a political thing. Um, and when I started hiking, um, it was kind of on a whim. And I found that I really did like feeling my body move. And it made me in touch with my body in a way that I wasn't and didn't know that I wasn't. Um, I found out that moving my body, uh, made my brain work better and, uh, eased my anxiety and, uh, made me feel stronger and more empowered in a lot of ways. Um, when I first started hiking, I became very aware early on that the, that there was a really strong representation and diversity 
issue um, with outdoors media and also just in the outdoors too, you know. These days, Jenny hikes at least once a week and mostly hits the trail alone. You know, in groups, you know, nobody wants to be like the slow one or like the super sweaty one or the one who's breathing too hard or whatever. And it's like when I'm alone, I don't even think about that. Like, I don't care how I look. I don't care how I'm sweating. I don't care, you know, how I'm being perceived in general. But when you add other people to the mix, it's like weird sort of social brainwashing and conditioning kind of creeps up out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. How, how do you feel like hiking has changed your relationship with your body? Like, do you feel differently about your body now than you did five years ago? I definitely do. I, when I started hiking, I was really self-conscious about just moving my body. And it's kind of hard to explain, but, um, you know, I was really, because I had no experience exercising and, um, and I certainly, you know, if, if, and when I ever did exercise, it wasn't around other people. Um, I didn't know what it really felt like to really move my body and to be in nature and to learn how to move my body in ways that felt actually good made me feel really strong and capable and super autonomous in a way that I didn't realize I was lacking. Um, I didn't know that I was a physically strong person. I didn't know that I was capable of hiking miles and miles. Keep following Jenny's adventure. Look her up on Instagram, Unlikely Hikers. You can post your own photos on Instagram too with the hashtag Unlikely Hikers and she'll find them there. Who feels welcome at the beach has to do with a lot more than just who feels sexy in a swimsuit. In the United States, beaches have a fraught racial history. Both public pools and beaches were racially segregated for much of our history, with black and brown Americans around the country excluded from many cities' best beaches and best-maintained public pools. In response to this, African-American entrepreneurs built their own recreation sites, catering to the crowds kept out of white-only pools. In the 1930s, in Roanoke, Virginia, in the heart of the segregated Jim Crow South, African-American business leaders built a swimming pool and dance hall called Dreamland. The recreation area was a beloved institution for a generation before it was torn down in the name of urban renewal in 1947. This story from reporters Jesse Dukes and Allison Swaim shares memories of Dreamland and this era in our history. Dreamland was just special. I don't think there was another place in Roanoke like it, especially for black folks. It was just like a summer resort for black people because when I was coming that age you couldn't go to Aunt Tandy. I just remember the swimming pool. Oh sure, I went there swimming. The swimming pool was open during the summer. You paid at the counter, 25 cents. We were going to change your clothes. They had a place back there for you to change, and one for women, one for the men. I even cut school sometimes. <laughs> go to and go swimming, Carol. That was an exciting thing for me to go down there and see him go off at diving board. We had a fellow there, his name was Elburn Williams. He was a great swimmer. 
So he would teach you how to swim, be with you. And we called him River Man. <laughs> we used to go over and go swimming at night when the place was closed. And police come by and say, like we're high. <laughs> when they leave, we go back in. Going at buck naked. <laughs> but we did it, though. Did we ever go to Lakeside? Well, Lakeside was an amusement park that was segregated. I don't think we ever went to Lakeside. Uh -uh. They only had one day reserved for black people. The last day. The last day before they closed up, mm -hmm. black folk could go. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, I'm kind of segregated. And give me one day, I wouldn't go. I hate to think about it. That's true. In 1940s, I would say Gainesboro was an all-African-American neighborhood. Most of our businesses were here. We had everything that we really needed. Most of we our, had our schools, schools and most of our churches. Stores, and we had Washington Park and Dreamland. And Mr. Hale, that's the guy that owned his name was Mr. Hale. Robert and Ellen Hale. Mr. Hale knew what he was doing. Okay, this is from the Roanoke Times. In 1936, 75 years ago, there's an ordinance granted to Robert N. Hale, colored, permission to use water from the spring in Washington Park for a swimming pool he proposed to construct, and it was passed on the first reading. My late father was the nephew of Ellen Hale, so I got the photographs of Dad being the lifeguard at the swimming pool. You all knew Miss Hale and her husband. They were nice people. Very well liked, very well respected. Um, it was nice. They sold hot dogs in there. Taskmasters both. They were kind people, and with the children and other relatives working, I think they were successful by working together as a team. I remember Mr. Hill very well. Oh, man. He didn't have no stuff going on in his place. He was a jovial guy. He was a... Oh, he's a mighty fine man. A jokester. Freckle for his light complexion for He had a knot on the back of his head. I don't know what it was about, but he said it was a knowledge knot that his brain was <laughs> coming all out of his head and everything. We had this beautiful room... And there was a jukebox there, had soft drinks, and uh, it was real nice. Well, that's where most of all the girls went. Dreamland. People relaxing and having fun, dancing. I learned how to dance there. Oh, I met my wife there. It was about six of us with playing to go. And the boys would come in, and you know, the girls sit here and the boys sit there. And then somebody played the jukebox, and then it looked like the guys were saying, who's going to go first, you know? <laughs> but once one person got out on, one couple got on the floor, that was it. They played, they had a band. If you've seen some of the old movies, you know how they would jitterbugs. Trumpets. Guys swinging Trombones. And all that stuff. I don't know. I've just seen saxophones. <laughs> I'm sure that's what she was doing. 
whole band. <laughs> two step. <laughs> yeah, blues, all the two step. Waltzes. I didn't do all that. I don't know. I didn't do all that exotic dancing, but I can dance. You could go down to Roca or in a tuxedo for six dollars. And you came there dressed. You didn't come there with your britches hanging down. I'd bring my girlfriend. We'd dance with other people. Social. Just dancing. In 1947, the city decided to widen Orange Avenue. Avenue Then widen it, so it went up. And that took out dreamland. If it was there today, it would be right in the middle of that highway. It it was a big loss. It was a big loss. After they tore it down? I mean, where where else could you go to go swimming? We didn't have anywhere to go. We had to have it. We had to have it. No one really likes to change, see? I mean, it's, it's just something that you see, just like, you, you, you can't stop progress. Sometimes change is good, but the way they swept through this area was uncaring. Sure, times change, but you must be honest with that change. We thought we were safe, but we weren't. They came and took dreamland. That was it. Just like that. That was Remembering Dreamland, a story produced by Jesse Dukes and Allison Swaim as part of Big Shed's Place and Memory series. Place and Memory was created by Shea Shackleford. Thanks to that team for letting us share their story. For a long time, like in my adolescence, I stopped going to the beach. Um, because I was just so uncomfortable, and I didn't really have the language to describe why I was so uncomfortable. Um, I was not out as trans then, um, but I just didn't feel comfortable in a bathing suit, so I just didn't go to the beach. Sawyer DeVust hated his body as a teenager. Now, his job revolves around his body. He's a transgender model, artist, and actor. Hey, I'm Sawyer DeVust. Uh, I'm a visual artist and a model, and... Uh, I'm reluctantly claiming that I live in Los Angeles. Sawyer runs a photo project called Mine, where he takes a daily self-portrait, and another called Theirs, where he features portraits of other transgender and gender non-conforming people. Both projects aim to change the way transgender people are seen and to tell visual stories from trans perspectives, rather than seeing trans people through the lens of cisgender folks. He also works as a model and actor. Last year, he was featured in a billboard campaign for the period-proof underwear, Thinks. I talked to Sawyer about the beach and how his relationship to his body has changed as he's photographed himself every day. I uh, absolutely love the beach. Um, I'm a Leo. I'm a summer baby. So I grew up uh, swimming, you know, in pools in, uh, at the Jersey Shore. And so now going to the beach... Uh, you know, I've been out as trans for eight years, I think. Um, and going to the beach now is like a refreshing thing because I am now comfortable as myself, um, both physically and, you know, like mentally, emotionally. I feel like there's nothing wrong with my body being a trans body. Uh, there's actually nothing wrong with it. There are many different types of bodies. Um, and my type of body is just one of them. As a teenager, what 
What felt so fraught to you about going to the beach? Like when people invited you to the beach, what was the response that was running through your head? Oh God, I think um, I, I've struggled for many years, you know, since I was a, a teenager with like eating disorders. Um, and that was always a big thing for me. Um, I think it was just general, um, general hatred of my body. Uh, whether it was that I thought that I was too heavy or, you know, didn't like the shape of my body or whatever it was. Um, I did struggle with disordered eating. And um, I think just being in a bathing suit and like showing my body and showing the thing that I was ashamed of um, was just like not happening. It was not going to not going to happen. At what point did you feel okay going to the beach again? Do you remember the, like the moment when someone invited you to the beach and you thought, okay, like, yes, I, I feel good about this? Um, God, the first time I went to the beach again, I think I was living in Brooklyn and I don't remember who invited me to go to Reese Beach, but it was, as it was laid out to me, it was like a queer, kind of naked, uh, just like inclusive beach. And I was like, okay, that seems cool. And went with a few friends and was just blown away by just the diversity that was there. Like every different kind of person is at that beach. No one's throwing shade. No one is, you know, it seems like no one really has a care in the world and it's really a beautiful place to be. And that beach, I think for me, was a great place to come out as trans and be transitioning because I could go there with in any stage of my transition and feel comfortable was really the thing. So now when you go to the beach, do you take a lay of the land and see who's around or do you just like go for it and jump in the water? Yeah, I, I just go for it (laughs) at this point. Um, I think, uh, I used to, I think right after I had top surgery, I probably would take a little survey and see like what kind of people were around. But at this point I don't really don't care. And, um, I used to take more of a survey to see who was around. And I realized that that's like a very privileged statement to make that I can just go for it, um, and feel comfortable in that way. But it's taken me a lot of time and like mental, just checking in on myself mentally to get to that place where I don't, really feel expectations around my body based on where I am. Like when I go to the gym and I'm changing in the locker room, um, I also just go for it and change because in my mind, there are many different types of male bodies. There's not just, uh, you know, a flat chest with the quote unquote male genitalia. There are many different types of male bodies. And if somebody wants to ask me about it, in the locker room, then that's totally fine. If somebody wants to ask me about on the beach, that's totally fine. And I think that's where the privilege comes in because I am a white person. I am able-bodied. Um, I am cis passing where a lot of people don't have, have that privilege to feel safe in that way. I do. It sounds to me like you have a bit of conflict around passing around being in stealth mode, essentially. Do you feel some tension around that? And what is that? Yeah, it's, um, it's hard. I wish I didn't have to, I wish I didn't feel that way. Um, but that's just the way the world is where people who don't necessarily fit into a box are, are hated or chastised or, 
more at risk for, for violence. And I wish it weren't that way, but that's, you know, the reality of it. And I think if, if that weren't a factor, if I didn't have to worry about people's reactions towards me, I would never have gone on hormones. I was fine the way I was. Um, I was fine without top surgery, but I think the, the pressure to just feel safe was really, you know, the, the thing that was most important to me. It's not like you're entirely in stealth mode, though, because you're a model and an actor and you put out there very publicly on your profile, like very front and center. I'm a trans man. Mm -hmm. So how do you feel about your body being in public so much? Like, how does being in a billboard campaign make you think differently about your body? Yeah, (laughs) Um, I think there's still a level of it's not even that I want to be stealth. because I don't really, I mean, clearly, because I'm like, you know, all over the place. But um, it's more the, the choosing of when I can disclose that I'm trans. So like the guy in the cafe down the street, you know, that's a situation where like, there's no reason for that man to know that I'm trans. Uh, my landlord doesn't need to know that I'm trans. Because um, I'm just like a person doing his thing, going to work, you know, paying my bills. It's, you know... I'm just a normal person. The only difference is that like some doctors had some idea about my body when I was a kid and that's not necessarily true. So there's really no reason to tell most people, you know? And I think the important thing with like my modeling and the the acting and any interviews that I do, it's all to do with what I wish I had when I was younger. I wish that I had somebody saying that there's nothing wrong with you. I wish I had somebody saying you don't need to be ashamed of being trans or being queer or whatever it is. And there's also no problem for, there shouldn't be a problem with trans people loving their body the way it is. Like these expectations of appearing cis, it's like not, it's not real. It's complete bullshit, really. Just like the... The expectations that I need to um, hate my genitals or what or hate my scars that sh- that are evidence that I'm trans. That's all complete bullshit. I think they're things to be celebrated. It's just like a diverse body, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think that for me, realizing that my body is not a complete representation of who I am, um, just because you see me and you see that I'm fat does not mean that I'm a good person or a bad person. That's Jessica Torres. She's a writer who covers plus-size fashion and who's become a fat fashion sensation in her own right. Her Instagram feed, full of photos of her wearing crop tops, bikinis, racy skirts, and all sorts of other fun clothes that big, curvy girls are often shamed out of wearing. Hi, my name is Jessica Torres, and I am a fashion writer and producer for Ravelist.com, and I also have a style blog. It's JessicaTorres.com. Jessica, you're one of the only fashion bloggers that I follow on Instagram, and I love your photos because they're damn funny. (laughs) You are also really straightforward about your feminist politics and your activism. Like amid the photos of you in cute skirts, you've posted guides for what to do if immigration and customs enforcement knocks on your door and statements about how trans rights are human rights. 
So what tone do you try to hit with your style online? Like, what do you feel like defines your voice? I think my voice stands for all the young millennials out there like me who are multidimensional. We can care about fashion and also care about trans rights and Black Lives Matter and, you know, immigration, everything that affects us because we're not just, you know, one-sided human beings. We have many interests. We have many things we need to talk about um, and that you want to stand up for. So I feel like when you go to my Instagram, you do see a lot of, like, funny uh, quotes and pictures and stuff like that and, you know, funny videos of, like, the experience of a fat woman. But then we also want to talk about, all I want to talk about is, you know, things uh, that matter. One thing I like about your posts is that they're not all bye, bye, bye. Like a lot of the photos you take, are you just hanging out in a bikini with friends or like trying on weird Halloween costumes? And there's a lot of commercial co-optation of feminism these days with brands sending the message of like, buy this lipstick, buy this underwear, buy this hat. It's feminist. You need to buy this to be a feminist. So do you get uncomfortable about the way that brands are winding together feminism and capitalism? And what do you try to do about that in your own approach to fashion? I think we're all very smart and we can definitely tell when a brand is using, you know, um, body positivity or feminism or Black Lives Matter and any other topic, political topic, to sell a product um, or to sell whatever it is they're trying to sell. Um, I think we're smart enough to tell the difference. And what I try to do is pretty much just focus on what really truly speaks to me if I feel like a brand is being honest. I will stick to it. I will stick to the message. I will stick to the product. But if I feel like it's a brand who is just solely talking about um, topics that they think are going to get them numbers, then I try not to focus on it. You won't ever see me mention them because I'd rather not give them any, you know, dear light at all. What feels fake to you? Like, when have you come up against a brand that's just trying to use body positivity as a trendy way to make a profit? What rubs you the wrong way? Well, definitely if you call yourself a body positive brand and you only carry up to an extra large, then, you know, fuck you. Like, I'm not an idiot. I, it's not going to fit me or any of the people that follow me or my friends. So I'm going to pretty much just ignore that. And sometimes it's good to call them out, but sometimes it's just to, like, let them fade away on their own. And there's no point to give them um, any type of voice at all. So I think it's about being honest. So not only should you promote and have plus size models um, part of your brand, but you should also actually have products that we can actually wear. You were recently featured on the cover of fat positive fashion magazine Fab U Plus, wearing a sexy red bra and underwear. And when you posted a photo of that cover on Instagram, you wrote this really sweet note. You said, I never thought of someone with my body type and coming from where I come from having such a huge honor. I remember being a little fat Ecuadorian girl in the Bronx with big dreams. Now I'm a grown fat Ecuadorian woman with even bigger dreams. I just love that message. And I'm wondering, how did you feel about your body when you were a kid in the Bronx? Did you want even then to grow up to be a cover girl? The reason why I did it was because when I was younger, I never, ever saw a woman like me, someone who was plus size, who was visibly plus size, not someone who just like has a little bit of curves, a little bit of a tummy. No, I'm talking about someone who's visually very visible fat and that is proud of themselves and that is, you know, out there chasing their dreams and trying to inspire other women to be the best people they can. So I said, I need to be the role model that I needed when I was younger. So I didn't have it. So when when this magazine is out there, I want to see other girls who may not have, you know, the perfect body according to society. But what is the perfect body at the end of the day? So 
I want them to be able to see themselves the moment I meet. Well, I might not be as big as her or I might be bigger than her, but that's okay because if she can be confident in how she loves and who she is, then I can. And I feel like that's contagious. So as a teenager, did you get any kind of positive reinforcement from your community, your friends and your family? Or was it a pretty dark time of feeling like too big all the time? I always grew up thinking that my body was a work in progress. I'm Latina, and in Maori community, everyone has to or wants to look like Sofia Vergara and Salma Hayek, you know, these tiny little ways, big boobs, big booty, um, looking perfection, like perfection from head to toe. And I always felt like I was the funny friend, the funny sister, the, um, the nice person, the cute girl, you know, the one who had a cute face but not a great body. And um, that really did affect me because I never really had anyone say, no, you're fine the way you are, and, you know, it's okay to be um, the way you are and look the way you look and not hate yourself. Um, because I did. I, did um, I, I didn't feel comfortable myself. I would hide. I would wear these big baggy clothes. And I remember in school I would sit all the way in the back of the classroom so that no one would see me. I didn't want anyone sitting behind me because they would see my back fat, or I didn't want some, someone sitting next to me because they would see my side roll. Are there days when you feel bad about your body? And even now that you're an activist and a writer on this, like, I bet there are days when you still feel bad about your body. Everybody does. So what do you do when you get into a body-hating rut? Like, how do you get out of that? Absolutely. I feel like it doesn't matter how body positive you are um, or how body positive you may seem online. Everyone has a bad day. Um, Whether you are thin or you're fat, everyone has a bad day. And what I try to do in those days is I talk to my friends. I kind of surround again with my body positive friends, and I remind myself that, you know, they are happy too. They have good days. They have bad days. And um, sometimes it's just good talking about it. Go with a friend and be like, hey, I'm not feeling great about myself today. And my friends can give you advice on it, and my friends can tell you, hey, you should do this. For example, my friends would be like, you know, just take a breather from online, you know, because it can be kind of harsh to be out there. So just take a breather or, you know, They'll remind you that you're beautiful no matter what and that the most important thing is who you are, the kind of person you are with other people and how you treat other people. A lot of talk about fat is really negative, so I wanted to end on a positive note. Can you recall a really good memory at the beach, like a time when you just loved your body at the beach? Yeah, I actually, um, it was recently for my my birthday, it was June 30th, and I was actually at the pool, and my friends and I, we all went there and... We all put our favorite swimsuits on, and we were, you know, having a great time sunbathing. And I remember telling one of my best friends that instead of a birthday cake, I wanted cheeseburgers stacked up with a candle on top. But I was joking, and I didn't think she would remember. And all of a sudden, they surprised me with that, and I just remember feeling like I'm a fat girl with a two-piece wet swimsuit, and I'm having a great time, and I'm feeling good about myself, and it's okay that I'm going to eat this cheeseburger because I don't have to feel guilty about who I am. And my skinny friends and my fat friends, we all enjoy that little uh, burger cake that we had, and I just remember being the happiest and probably having one of the best birthdays ever that day. Yeah, eating a cheeseburger while wearing a bikini by the pool, it doesn't get a lot better than that. That was Jessica Torres, and you can follow her on Instagram at this is Jessica Torres.
This show is produced for Bitch Media by Alex Ward at Sounds Like Pictures. Our jingle is by Mux and Owen Worker. Every episode of Propaganda is transcribed by Cheryl Green at Storyminders. We're proud to make Propaganda available to people who are deaf and hard of hearing. You can find full transcripts of every show at bitchmedia.org under the podcasts tab. If you have thoughts or feelings or feedback on the show, please feel encouraged to send me an email, sarah with an h at bword.org. I read every email and always excited to hear what you think. You can help make propaganda possible. Become a podcast pollinator. Pollinators receive a special mug, a subscription to Bitch Magazine, and other great benefits. Become a pollinator today at bitchmedia.org slash pollinators. Thank you so much for listening.